How are you? Oh, you are fine. Don't worry one bit. Joe, Sister Klein may need one when she gets her seat. Oh, you're fine. We get going. Y'all know me, I'm going to run out of time anyway, so it doesn't matter if I start two minutes from now or not, so won't be anything new. Any announcements or uh, prayer requests, updates that need to be made this morning? Y'all will remember, of course, Sister Waits passed away, and Brother Don, we are thinking and praying for you, brother, uh, and uh, we, we obviously will miss her in this world. Uh, we have a uh, wonderful hope, though, don't we, Brother Don? And uh, that is the, the glory of it all, and uh, hopefully we will uh, remember that. But remember Brother Don and his family, all of the that are affected by her loss, and uh, please keep them in your prayers. I know he can use that, and Brother Don, know that we are praying for you. Uh, I saw a hand. Glenn. Okay. Gotcha. Glenn, what is her name? Jane Bailey. Okay. But Glenn Bailey's sister, Jane... Uh, had a fall, and she's going to be going to the doctor. You said tomorrow, right? She's at the doctor. Okay. Have the pres- okay. It's going to find out if she has to have surgery for the fall and the injury she had. So keep uh, Jane and that family in your prayers. Anybody else? Any other announcements? All right, let's start off class with a prayer. Please bow with me, please. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. Uh, for the day we have today that you've blessed us with. God, we are thankful for the beauty of your creation that we can enjoy as we have driven uh, here this morning to be together and to meet. Lord, it's, it's just wonderful to see all the things that you've given us and that we can appreciate those, uh, the, the beauty of your creation. God, we ask you to please be with us, especially this morning as we are in Bible class. Lord, may we open up our, word, our Bibles and, and your word and study from it and, and gather information that will help us and encourage us in our Christian lives. Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity we have and the freedom we have in this country to be able to meet openly and together publicly as a body of believers. And we can open up your word and study it uh, this morning without persecution from outside. And God, we ask you to be with us in the study. Please be with me as I present the study. And help us to be able to uh, take some lessons from these miracles that we study uh, that they will help encourage us in our lives and help build up our faith and make us stronger in our everyday lives. Lord, there are so many around us that are suffering, that are dealing with uh, sicknesses and that are dealing with death. Lord, we ask you to please be with all those around us, especially those of the household of faith here at Dalreda. Lord, we especially ask at this time to be with Brother Don and his family. We ask you to uh, please comfort him at this time of his loss. Lord, we're so thankful for Sister Mary and the wonderful example that she was for us. And God, she touched us in our lives in so many ways. She uh, was just an incredible, credible Christian woman. And Lord, we ask that you please be with them as they mourn her loss. Lord, may we reach out with loving and comforting arms and surround him. Let him know how much we love him and how much we will miss her. Lord, may we all have the hope that she had, uh, that when we pass on from this earth, that we will have the opportunity to be by your side forevermore. God, we ask you to be with those who are sick and those that are in the hospitals. We 
I ask you especially be with Brother Glenn's sister as she awaits the results from the, the doctor's examinations to find out whether or not she has to have any other uh, intrusive surgery to correct the problems she had from her fall. And, and Lord, we ask you to be with all the others that are in the hospitals that deal with the sickness and the, the, the diseases and all those problems of life. Lord, may they not be discouraged. May they be uplifted by thinking of you, by focusing more on the eternal instead of the temporal, and that they remember the spiritual matters so much more than the physical in this world. God, may we remind them of that. May we teach them. May we reach out to others and lead them to you in our daily lives by not only our actions, but Lord, more than anything, may we lead them to you by our words and as we teach them and preach to them uh, who you are and your saving gospel. God, we are thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for his sacrifice in this world for us so that we would have the opportunity to have eternal life. May we never forget the sacrifice and may we live our lives as though we are thankful and grateful for the sacrifice. May we be obedient servants of you. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have got, uh, I think, three lessons left is what I calculated. Uh, We may make it through the majority of the miracles. As y'all knew from the beginning, it was very slim to uh, chance that we were going to make it through all the miracles probably. Uh, I've tried to group them together to try and make our ways through uh, these miracle accounts to try and uh, get as many as we can throughout a quarter of study. Uh, I think we've done a pretty good job thus far. I'm going to continue this morning as we think about miracles and I titled uh, the, the lesson of course relying on the faith of others. And these are miracles when you look at it that the individuals who experience the healing power of, of God, Jesus' loving hand of mercy, are actually not the ones who go and petition and show faith to the Lord. And I like these miracles. We, we talked about some, some parallel miracles as we talk about Christ and his wonderful power before. We talked about uh, Christ healing from a distance. If you remember that lesson, it's, it's earlier on in the study. And we talked about several different uh, miracles that, that the Lord performed. Uh, the centurion's servant. Uh, and uh, you also remember the uh, nobleman's son that were healed from a distance because they came and implored the Lord to heal them. Now, these are very similar to that. I, I like the story of the paralytic man probably more so than the Canaanite woman, or some of your Bibles may call her the Syrophoenician woman. Um, I like the, the story of the four uh, friends bringing their friend to Christ because he was paralyzed. Uh, he's a paralytic there and unable to take himself. That lends, I think, a lot more to the uh, discussions in this lesson. However, I threw the other miracle in there to, to kind of undergird, also to include it so we can at least cover it in this study, uh, to think about the, the idea of relying on others' faith. Many of us, I think, in this world uh, are, are hesitant to rely on others. And, uh, you know, most people don't like to rely on other people for anything. Uh, yesterday, we, were in the, we had the men's uh, breakfast, and one of the things that uh, was brought up and uh, Brother Michael uh, Summers is going to be kind of uh, heading this up for the congregation here and spearheading what we're going to call the widow's ministry. Uh, and it's one of those ministries that sometimes gets overlooked. I think it's funny. Well, it's not funny. It's sad. Because when you look at the first deacons, more than likely in, in the Bible, in the context, what did they take care of? <laughs> the widows. Uh, and so it's one of those things that really is, um, you know, I think intrinsic to us taking care of one another in, in the church. Uh, James said, pure undefiled religion is this, what, take care of the widows and the fatherless. And of course, we know Brother Josh Sipper is going to present the lesson this morning on reaching out and taking care of the fatherless, the orphans in life. Taking care of the widows is very important as well. 
We, we talked about it in the breakfast yesterday, the fact that there are sometimes the fact that we have to look out for others because they're hesitant to come to us and say, we need help. And there's nothing wrong about that. There's nothing bad about that. Uh, it is not, I don't believe, sinful pride. It's just a, a self-reliance that we have of us wanting to take care of ourselves. And it is difficult for us sometimes to reach out and say, I, I need some help. I can't necessarily take care of this myself, whether it be just cleaning the gutters out or whether it be, you know, doing just, you know, trivial, menial tasks around the house or, or whether it's even financial burdens that we may find ourselves inside of. It's hard for us sometimes to reach out and to rely on others in life, I think. Uh, probably with respect to our faith as well. Uh, it may be the American spirit in us. I'm not sure. Uh, I, think, you, I think I see it in my travels that I've been around the world that people like to take care of themselves no matter what nationality they are. But I think us ourselves in, in the United States have got this self-reliance about ourselves that we're going to stand up, we're going to take care of hopefully of ourselves and, uh, and then hopefully reach out to others. That's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. We are sometimes very hesitant on reaching out from ourselves. So we've become self-reliant. And a lot of times this even bleeds over into our faith, I believe. And that we rely on those things which are near and dear and familiar to us instead of challenging ourselves and and stepping outside of our comfort zones and, and making that faith become something more substantive, something more firm, something more concrete. Uh, and we are hesitant sometimes in that. Uh, when I worked as a youth minister, I saw this many, many times because teenagers are usually relying not on their own faith, but they rely on the faith of their parents. Now, there are exceptions, and there are exceptions in our group, I know as well, uh, of some that don't even have uh, believing or faithful parents. And so they are truly, you know, building their own faith because they don't necessarily have it. They may rely, though, on, like, will, being our youth minister, someone who they can look to as being a guide for faithfulness. And so we are hesitant sometimes on, on necessarily just doing our own thing. We rely on others uh, for those easier things. Um, when it's hard, when it's difficult, we, we sometimes step up. But when it comes to our faith, sometimes we are relying so much on our past or on our parents' faith that we don't always make it our own faith. And these, I think, miracles here as Christ is going forth, uh, as you think about um, uh, the, what the miracles, I think, speak to us today, I think it challenges us to go beyond relying on others for our faith. And I'll get to the points and the reasons why I say that in a moment. But these miracles show us that there is a reliance on others, but that reliance shouldn't stay stagnant. In fact, you've got to go beyond that. When the man was lowered down by his four friends from the ceiling and the roof. Uh, He, when he was healed by Christ, he then had to make a choice to get up and to walk himself. And many times we've got to take that step ourselves. We've got to go beyond. We've got to develop our faith. We've got to to grow past relying on others and hopefully become self-reliant on becoming what Christ and what God wants us to be in our lives. And you kind of see that in these miracles, I believe, as you go forward and you study them. It's an idea that there is a caution to us that our reliance can sometimes prohibit us from being more than we were. And it can help us, uh, it can hinder us developing, I believe, a stronger faith 
uh, as Christians in our lives today. What I want to do is look at these two miracles here. Consider uh, them and consider the facts that they, I think, help give us some lessons uh, as to ways that we can build our faith much stronger as we look back and as we have come from relying on the faith of others. I want to look real quickly at the passages of scriptures, if we can, here. Mark chapter uh, two verses one through twelve are the, the passage that I want to refer in the account in the book of Mark uh, to uh, the healing of the paralytic. You can turn your Bibles there; it'll be on the screen as well for you this morning. Uh, but look with me there. Of course, you see on your handouts there are parallel accounts in the book of Matthew in chapter nine, and also over in Luke chapter five, talking about this same miracle occurring there in those other two gospel accounts. Look at Mark with me though. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned uh, to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, uh, your, sons, your sins are forgiven. And now when some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, uh, hold on, this didn't work. Some of the scribes were there questioning in their hearts and said, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up the bed, or his bed, and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Before we get into the discussion of this, I want to go ahead and read, if we can, the, uh, the next uh, passage of uh, the, the other miracle, dealing with the healing of the Canaanite's daughter. If you look to flip over there, it's going to be Matthew chapter 15. It's on the back of your handout, but it's going to be verses 21 through 28. When Jesus went out from there and withdrew to the the district of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, "Uh, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered and said, I was sent only to the sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her and said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Other passages in the parallel accounts that we see uh, in Mark... Uh, here in chapter 7, uh, give a little bit more details that she actually went back home uh, straight away from hearing this from, from uh, Jesus. And in Mark 7, verse, I believe it's around, it starts at verse 24 is the account there. Um, but you go on and see verse 30, uh, it says, And going back to her home, she found the child lay, lying on the bed, and the deeming having left. 
so we see in Matthew, of course, that says that the, the demon immediately left. She went home, we see in Mark's account, and found her child there lying on the bed without uh, the demon possessing her any longer. These, these two lessons, I think, give us a lot of details, uh, give us a lot of information. And you look in the handout, of course, I kind of labeled uh, the uh, discussion of this, the lessons and the blessings, uh, blessings, I could have said the southern way, I guess, lessons and the blessings, uh, from a reliable faith. And that's what you kind of see in these accounts, is a reliable faith, a faith that can be relied upon, if you think about the word reliable. You're able to rely upon this faith. Why are you able to rely on this faith? Well, you look at the passage of scriptures, and what you see here are examples uh, of really two, two instances. You've got four friends and then one mother. Uh, these people who pretty much stuck their necks out to stand firm, to implore the Lord, to, to request um, healing from the only one who was able to bring it about. And so what you see is, is someone's faith in doing these actions uh, comes about because uh, of their uh, incredible belief, their understanding, and their um, expectation that the Lord will be able to heal them. And in these situations, their faith becomes seen, not because of their history, but because of the present actions that they took in these situations. How can we know these individuals are reliable? We know someone's reliable by what they do, right? Uh, you just think in your own lives. Uh, if you're an employee, uh, let's just say you're an employer and you have an employee, how do you know if they're going to be a trustworthy or a reliable employee? Well, they follow the directions, the assignments, uh, the given tasks that they have, and you look at them and say, oh, okay, that's a good employee. That's how you know. Any good manager is going to know that someone's a good employee if they do what they're told to do. Very simple. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you may have a feeling after like an interview. You know, I think in my, in my management classes that I took in, a, in a undergraduate and graduate school, you know, we talked about the idea, the aspect of an employee mentality and, and what it takes to try and look for the good employees and, you know, you know, like philosophical type of hypothetical discussion. But when, when it gets into reality, you can interview somebody and they can come off really great in an interview. They can be someone who you perceive may be the best employee ever in the history of this company. But until they come to work for you, and until they, they show you by their actions that they are a good employee, you have no true basis to say that this individual is reliable. You can expect it, you can hope for it, but you don't have any kind of indication that they indeed are reliable. Well, in this text and in the context here of, of these two miracles, how do we know that the faith of these individuals is a reliable faith? That they are individuals who can be looked to for guidance and that whenever they came to you or when they, when they developed themselves, that they are someone you can look to as this shining light of an example. Well, you see that because of the actions that they took. And I love when you look at the text of the, the four men uh, and the, the, the friends that, that carried this man to Jesus. The determination, the tenacity, the steadfastness, the expectation that they had that they would be able to accomplish their goal. I mean, I, if, if I was a boss, that's the kind of an employee I would want to be reliable. But we see here in the spiritual context, their faith was a reliable faith because of all the things that they did. They did not stop at a blocked door. 
to try and bring their friend to Jesus. Jesus there, of course, we see was was in the uh, the home uh, there. That it's actually interesting that he's called being at home here uh, in Capernaum. Uh, by the way, this is the only way that this is, is termed and used in the uh, the scriptures, and it's only used here in Mark of, of the Lord being at home. Uh, that is usually talked about as, as the fact that it's kind of like Jesus's home base of operations. Uh, there in Capernaum. And if you look in the context of a lot of the miracles and the parables and the teachings, he kind of comes back to Capernaum quite a lot. And in fact, a lot of people will argue and say this is likely Peter's mother-in-law house, which we've talked about that miracle before as well. Uh, There's nothing concrete about that. There's a lot of speculation. Uh, I don't want to get too definitive in all that. But you do see uh, the the Lord being this, uh, being kind of his home operation. Uh, it's, It's mentioned It's likely Peter's house. And then you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, Mark 2, 1, and Mark 9, 33. You kind of put those passages together. And it appears to be possibly Peter's uh, house uh, that that he actually uh, was there. And as the the base of his operations, I like to say, is at home. But he really wasn't home. Uh, If you read the passages, you know, a lot of them talk about that the Lord really had no place to hang, to lay his head in those situations. So uh, just a little bit of a side note there on the text. You can do a little more textual study on your own to look at that. But I think that's interesting to point out. But what's even more interesting is the reaction of the people. When Jesus had come back to Capernaum, what you see is a reaction of people that just filled this house. <laughs> you know, you just, it's like a rock star mentality. I kind of think of the paparazzi. You know, you turn on TV and see uh, the way that individuals flock to celebrities. I could care less about celebrities most of the time. Uh, what they do, I could usually I completely disagree with, so I could care less about what celebrities are doing. Um, you know, the gossip websites and the gossip publications, even the uh, gossip type of TV shows, you know, Entertainment Tonight and all this thing, they just pump up about what all the public's, I could care less about it. Uh, I never have been a big fan of that. And, uh, but that kind of mentality, though, is what surrounded the Lord at this point in time. Why? Because they had seen, they had heard all these wonderful things, and people just flocked to him. I think some of the people didn't necessarily understand the whole concept as we talked about some of our other lessons, but a lot of them were so amazed about what Christ was able to do and perform that they wanted to be around him. And here in this situation, here in Mark chapter 2, the Lord is in the house and he's teaching and preaching to them. I mean, he's talking to them. He's not just letting them hang out. They're not just eating. Uh, He's actually teaching them. And it doesn't tell us the substance of what he's saying at that specific situation. But what you do see is that he's surrounded so much that you can't get in the door. There's so many people there. These four men knew Jesus was the only answer. And they could not get into the door to them. So in this story, you start seeing unfolding four different characteristics or personalities of people. I like this outline that I found in my studies. Uh, they kind of really easily applicable to us as you think about how this would apply to us. But you see kind of four personalities unfolding here. You see them on the screen and in your handouts. First of all, you see these helpers, these four men who were helping their friend. And they were determined. They, were, uh, they had this grit about them that, that nothing was going to stop them from getting to Jesus. Now, of course, you can't see the application there. You know, it's, it's kind of difficult, I think, to get anything else to you. you know? But they, they were so determined to help their friend find the Lord and get to him. Think about what they did. Uh, again, they didn't stop at the front door. When they were blocked, they didn't just kind of give up and say, well, we can't get in. Let's just go home. You know, we'll just go hang out. Maybe we'll find the Lord again someday. 
you know, he'll be back probably. You know, he's in this area a lot. Uh, you know, we'll just wait for another day. They, you don't see that in this scripture. You see them going up on the roof. Now, of course, it's not strange in this situation, in this uh, time, time period to have stairs or, or some kind of entry in the roof. That was pretty common, actually, to, to have roof uh, living areas and, and places even uh, to, to stay on the roof top. And so these individuals went to the roof instead above the Lord. And they didn't stop there. They didn't say, well, there's no door. There's no window we can get through at this point in time. So, uh, you know, we're just going to give up now for this as well. Uh, they, they continued even on there. And you see that they, they went to the roof. They dug a hole. Now, if you know the way these houses are made over, it's not like today. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, they had to, to bust out brick and shingles and all that kind of stuff. It's more likely some type of a mud, uh, earthly, er, earthly kind of a structure that was built clay, you know, just kind of in your imagine, I kind of imagine the Adobe kind of structures. Uh, when I look at the pictures and stuff, you know, of the, uh, the Indians that lived out in the West and, and the fact they had this almost like a clay, you know, clay structure built. That's kind of similar uh, to what the historians say was used in that time period. They actually had to dig, though. They had to dig a hole. And you look at the the passage uh, that we read in Mark, and the Mark uh, passage here says that they made an opening there in verse 4. If you look over, though, in the uh, account, I believe it's in Matthew. Uh, If you look in Matthew chapter 9, and the the account there, the paralytic, uh, it says that... um, the, the friends brought him, um, no, I'm sorry, it's not going to be Matthew, it's going to be over in Luke. Uh, the, when they brought him, they actually had to dig. They had to dig. Look down in verse, um, you may find it before me, but uh, here, verse 19. They went up on the roof, let him down through the tiles. So it doesn't say dig there. Okay, I'm not sure where I got that down. Anyways. They had to get entry into that house. Uh, it was not easy for them. And not only that, is that, once they had entry into the house, they had to lower him into the house. And so you just think of the, first of all, time. You think of the energy that was exerted uh, for this man. They were determined to get this man there in the house with God, uh, with Jesus. And, and the, the helpers, though, we're in a unique position because they were able to, to be someone uh, that would be able to lift and care and take this man to the Lord. Uh, they were, uh, you know, this man was, of course, extremely helpless. Uh, this man was someone who was able to take care of himself. But these helpers, of course, you see, I think, of an extreme amount of faith and dedication. The other characteristics of the other personalities you see, uh, of course, you see up there the, the helpless. We've kind of alluded to him. He was a man who was unable to take care of himself at all with respect to uh, going somewhere or doing something. Uh, the paralytic man uh, was confined to a very large extent physically. But as you go on forward in the passage of Scripture, you see also something much deeper is that he was also helpless. Why? Because he was full of sin. So you've got the physical aspect and then you have the spiritual aspect of this man being completely helpless before the Lord. Uh, You see, uh, ultimately, of course, the Lord says your sins are forgiven. But before that time period, uh, he was extremely helpless, both physically and spiritually uh, here by himself uh, without anybody else. Look at the passages, uh, the other parallels, and, and you can see how that speaks and rings true to us. We're all helpless. 
We're all helpless at the beginning, aren't we? Maybe not physically necessarily, but spiritually, yeah, we're right there in the same boat as the paralytic. Uh, And you see and compare and think about uh, what uh, occurs there. Uh, The other personality, you see the healer in this passage of Scripture. Of course, the healer we know to be Jesus. And there was, there was only one great physician uh, that you know of, and that is talked about in the Scriptures. Matthew chapter 9 uh, talks about Jesus being the great physician. He's here to heal those that are sick. And again, it's not healing just physical infirmities, but it's healing of the spiritual infirmities that we all deal with and endure. And the Lord being the only healer, of course, is the only one with the power and the only one with the solution to the problems that ail us. Uh, not Again, we're going much deeper than physically here. We're going spiritually. And I think the Lord makes this point, of course, and you see here in the book of Mark uh, with respect to the response of the Lord when they began being questioned uh, why he said and did what he did. You see uh, there in um, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And that's the whole point that underscores why the Lord did what he did is to teach them a lesson that that the Lord has power, not just to heal, not just to allow a a lame man to walk, not just to allow uh, the blind to see, not just to even raise the dead, but the Lord is the one that has the power. He has the authority to forgive sins. And that gets much deeper and, of course, gets much more controversial to those scribes who were there in the audience uh, around them. But being the healer, being the one true healer uh, that ever exists, uh, you see uh, that personality unfold in this story as well. You already talked about the helpers, uh, the four that had faith and the the healer. They had love for the helpless man and they had steadfast resolve to work together to overcome the obstacles that may have been in their way. Think about how that applies in our lives as well today. Think about the, the, the steadfastness that we need to have in our lives. You know, well, we like the helpers in that respect. When you look at the questions at the end of the lesson that try to encourage you to apply this and to really, um, you know, self-analyze yourself, it's really the, the question is, 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 am I like them? Because it was because of their faith that this man was brought to Jesus. It was because of these men that he was forgiven of his sins. And I think that's a very interesting thought process for us today. How, how are we? You know, acting. How, how do we uh, fit into these personalities that we see in the story? You know, if we're not helpers, are we hinderers? And that's the fourth one, of course, that we see in the, the personalities presented in this, this story, in this miracle here. The hinderers really were twofold. You've got those that were, I believe, unintentional hinderers. Uh, I think that I've, I kind of described them as being passive. They were passive listeners that were in the doorway. Uh, they hindered this man coming to the Lord. Uh, it was a uncaring attitude. You know, if you see a, paralysis, uh, a paralytic being carried, what do you do? What actions do you take? In this situation, all these men and, and possibly women that were there listening uh, to the Lord speaking, standing up, blocking the doorways, but yet they see this man who is in need of this Savior. What do you do? Well, they st- stood still. They did nothing. And it may have been a very unintentional action, but yet it was also a selfish action. And they had no care and concern for this man who is in need of a Savior, possibly more physically than they were. 
If they knew and had seen and had heard about what Christ was able to do, they stood in the way of this man possibly reaching his only hope. You got the passive listeners there that were in the doorway. But you also have hinderers that you see on a second way. You see that there are active, there are active participants here being the scribes that were actively criticizing. They were active critics looking to scorn the Lord. And they were right there in front of them. They were trying to do everything they could to stop and to shut down the Lord. You know, you see, even after they had raised him from the roof, uh, it gives a whole new meaning, by the way, of raise the roof, I think, uh, in this, this, this miracle here. But, you know, as he was raised down from the roof, you see the reaction that these scribes had to what was going on around them. And what they wanted to do is criticize and not help. They wanted to prohibit instead of encourage. And so in this passage, what you see is, is the unfolding of a mentality and of a personality or of a reaction of people who did not want the Lord to care and to love and to, to have mercy on other individuals, but instead they wanted to attack him and attack his intention and attack his uh, deity because they could not agree and they could not grab a hold of what God or what Christ uh, was purporting to do. Uh, you know, I love the reaction. Well, I don't love the reaction. I, I love the fact that, that, that Christ kind of gave it back to him a little bit. Um, I think a lot of times we perceive Christ as being this little, this passive man as he lived on this earth. And that's not what, what Jesus was at all. I think he's so, so intelligent, obviously all knowing. Uh, you see the way Christ handles situations. It encourages me to be more thoughtful as I handle situations and confrontations sometimes. You know, as, a, as an attorney, I'm just ready to take you out, you know, and, 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 and grab a hold and, and slam you to the ground as quickly as possible just because I want to prove my point. You know, the Lord, it's amazing. There's very several, t- there's very minimal times the Lord does that. You see him when he casts out the money changers in the you know, temple, you see kind of that reaction. You know, that, that's kind of the way I would feel like all the time, just going there and just turn the money changers tables over and just say, you know, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Just kind of, you know, yell and scream and, and be angry about it. Um, righteous indignation, I like to call it. And that's, that's my typical reaction. But the Lord really didn't react that way. Not in this situation especially. What you see is he's attacked uh, and his, his authority, his power, his, really his deity is attacked in the scriptures by the scribes. Because they're pretty much looking at him and say, who? And no, by the way, they didn't say this out loud either. Uh, they're, they're telling to themselves, who is this man who's trying, who's, who's even forgiving them of their sins? And the Lord knows what's going on. He, he, he sees what is inside the hearts of these scorners, uh, the hearts of these men who um, just want to hinder and attack who and what he is. Um, he perceived it. And then he said, why question these things in your heart? I can just kind of see him saying it calmly, kind of like, you know, I know what you're thinking. And, you know, why are you thinking what you're thinking? I've got the power. You know, and in fact, I'm doing this to try and make the point to you that I have the power and authority to forgive of the sins. And really, he kind of turns it on them. And says, you know, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or, you know, rise up, take your mat and walk for you've been healed. And, and, and Christ is trying to make a point there. That first of all, it's, it's easier and quicker just to get straight to the point and the crux of the matter. And that's the fact that this man is sinful and uh, the uh, the... 
humility that he approached the Lord with uh, ultimately allowed the Lord to look at him and forgive him of his sins. But also the fact that he's making a point to these uh, hinderers, these scribes, that it is in fact the Lord that has the power and not them. Um, You know, he said to them, I'm the one in control and not you. And so the Lord was able to make the point to them here that, uh, you know, the active critics that looked to scorn the Lord were not going to hinder his ultimate purpose. And that ultimate purpose, of course, was to bring salvation to the sin-sick soul, not just the physically sick. Brother Robert. Really? <laughs> yeah. Rise up, take your mat. Yeah. Great point, great point. Great point, and I, I probably didn't clarify this as well as I should have, but the order of what the Lord did here makes that point. That's the whole, the whole point of the matter. If you look at the, the text, when he says your sons are forgiven, he doesn't get up and walk. Okay, that's, not, that's not what he does. And, and in fact, it is not until the Lord then says, rise up and take your mat and walk, you're healed, that that's when he finally gets up and walks. And that undergirds and supports exactly, you're right, Robert, I, it's a gotcha moment almost because the Lord knew, I know in his infinite wisdom, he understood that when he said your sins are forgiven, there's going to be those questioners. And their response in, in, the, in the end convicts them. It convicts them. Why? Because they say, hey, only Jesus or only God, only God can forgive sins. Well, then what does Jesus do then to prove that he is in fact God's son? He heals them. It kind of goes back to the whole point of the miracles that we've talked about this whole quarter long. Why does God send Jesus to this earth? And why does Jesus send or or do (coughs) the miracles which he's performing? It's to show that he's got the power and it's to show that he's got the authority given from God. And again, here, why are you saying that I can, I'm forgiven of sins? Why would you say that? Only God can do that. You know, and Jesus himself says, ha ha, gotcha now, gotcha. Rise up and take your mat and walk. And this known paralytic, the man who'd been paralyzed, takes up his walk, his, his mat and walk. And then you see the reaction of what the people say. What do the people say at the end of this? After he picked up his, walk, his mat, his bed, and he walked out before them all, it says, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying we have never seen anything like this before. I got you, scribes. You thought you were hindering me, but in fact you convicted yourself by the very things that you had to say. 
only God could heal this man. I'm here on behalf of God. I have the power and authority given to me by God. I will heal this man to show you that, in fact, I have the authority to forgive the sins. You kind of see that, that time frame. Why does he do this? Well, that, that's why he does it. That, I believe that's why the, the order is, is the way it is in the scriptures there. Robert. I, I, as I was reading this, <clears throat> and I appreciate your comments. I know y'all may not have all been able to hear everything Robert said, but um, one of the greatest things I appreciated was focusing not on the one who was healed in this situation. Because I think you're right. The, these miracles, both the Syrophoenician Canaanite woman's daughter and, and the, the paralytic, really, even though they, they've kind of become the, the, the receiver of God's wonderful mercy and the Lord's loving kindness. The story is really not all about them. It's really not. Because they just received what they really, I'm not sure they deserved. Of course, that's what we call grace, by the way. Uh, that's kind of what we all get as well. 
Uh, they receive the grace of the Lord in these situations. But what you see, I think, you're, and you're 100% right, what hit home to me more than anything as I looked at this, this story, and we've, we've studied this story since we were kids. I remember, I remember, you know, I think even Marley's studied this story sometime in her short five years of life. Because I, for some reason in my mind, I remember a coloring page of these kids, of the, the four men, you know, lowering somebody down. Maybe it's just my kid, me, being a, me growing up, I don't know. But, you know, we study this story and a lot of times we talk about just how cool it was or, or the fact that they lowered this man from the ceiling and then Jesus healed him. You know, but we don't think about the, the motivation. And I like the word tenacity. That's why I, I thought about it as I was, I was studying. The tenacity of these four individuals of not giving up. And, and it didn't hit me, I don't think, until I started studying this, of everything they had to do. It was not simple for them to raise or lower this man from the ceiling. It wasn't. And I can appreciate that probably more in my adult life than I ever could as a child. And that's why this miracle, I think, speaks to us more so than anything about the lessons you learn about these four men. What are we doing in our lives? I know if my child was lost spiritually, I would be doing anything and everything I could to try and reach out to them. Now, there may be a point where I can't do any more. I've tried everything. There's nothing else that I can do. But I know as a father, I would be doing everything that I could do for them. Why would it be any different for anybody else? Why? But it is. And you're right. Robert's point was, there's so many times in our lives where we'll just say, well, you know, we don't see someone at church. We'll pick the phone up and we'll, we'll call them. We may get a busy signal. They may not answer the phone. And we thought, well, we've done our best. Is that really our best? Is that where we stop? Is that where we end? When someone may be dealing with something that's such a struggle or they may be dealing with being, you know, overwhelmed with sin. Is that where we're going to end? Is that where we're going to stop? Are we going to stop when we get to the door and there's so much of a crowd there that we can't even see the Lord in front of us? Is that where we're going to stop in fighting for our friends and fighting for our loved ones, fighting for our spiritual family? Is that where it ends? Or are we going to climb the stairs? Are we going to climb to the rooftop? Are we going to dig the hole? Are we going to try and make a, 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 a hole big enough to lower someone in there just so they can see the Lord? And we have no guarantees, we have no knowledge, we have no assurances that he's going to even heal them. But we're going to do our best to get them down in there. Is that what we do in our lives? What are we like? Are we a hinderer? Are we a helper? Are we just stuck in being hopeless or helpless? Hopefully, in the way if you look in the handouts, what I say as you think of the application lessons here... We're all helpless. Our helplessness should lead us to be hopeful. And when we're hopeful, we should understand that we've got to be a helpful Christian. Helplessness should lead to hopelessness. I mean, hopefulness. Hopefulness should be lead to helpfulness. So that we are dragging anybody and everybody to the Lord that we can get there. Appreciate y'all's kind of attention. Look to next week. We're going to be discussing next week, of course, that figs and fish are more than just food. Look at those two pictures.